Welcome to the Abstract Doctors Podcast Special, the Abstract Veterans Series. Today, Char Gatlin and Dr. Ron Seal speak with Dr. Amy So and Dr. James Reston. For more information, please visit limbic-cenc.org. Visit the Abstract Doctors for information and upcoming podcasts. The Abstract Doctors Podcast. The doctors are in. Open up your mind and say ah. Ladies and gentlemen, good morning. We're back. Welcome to the second installment of the Abstract Veteran Series. On behalf of my esteemed co-host, the quintessential and always interesting Dr. Ron Steele and myself, Char Gatlin, and our team behind the scenes, AC, the Colonel, and Ron in the box. Glad to have you here for, our, as I said, our second installment. So the long-term impact of military-relevant brain injury consortium chronic effects of neurotrauma consortium, which we're going to effectively call the limbic sensi, just to save time on that, is a multi-center nationwide, excuse me, nationwide collaborative study that brings together a very diverse and talented team of researchers to solve the puzzle that is traumatic brain injury and better understand its long-term psychological mental, physical, and health implications for active duty service members, veterans, and, and this is key, their families. Our mission and what we've been tasked to since we've made it back, we've got another installment, we're doing, we're doing good things here, is to be able to sort of translate this research in a very transparent manner that can be understand by the layman. And what I mean by that is this, I came into the world of TBI in 2007, so we're going on 14 years here, and I'm still trying to figure out sometimes what the jargon is and what the methodologies and the research. So what we want to do is take 14 years of where I came from and try to condense it to about 20 or 30 minutes. I think a lot of our listeners out there understand the five W's, the who, what, the why, the when, and the where, but what they may not get is the how. And what we want to do is bring on researchers that have come out of this consortium, talk to them, see what they have to say, see if it's uh, where it's going, what it's doing, how it's going to impact the veteran in a way that we can all understand to promote understanding and potentially folks that are out there that want to help with the study, uh, see what we do and and participate. So with that, I would like to introduce our two guests. Uh, We have Dr. Amy So and Dr. Jim Reston. So I guess we'll begin with Dr. So. Tell us about yourself, uh, a little bit what you do, how you do it, and uh, how you came to be here. Sure. Thanks so much um, for having us on. We're excited to be here. Um, So um, I'm a a neurologist and health services researcher, um, and uh, currently um, I'm co-director of the Evidence-Based Practice Center at at ECRI. Um, and uh, I got to say, it's, uh, I was reflecting on how I got here, and it's been a, I took a lot of detours. But the short version is I kind of fell in love with neurology when I was a medical student because, you know, brains are very cool. And uh, for a while, trained to be um, an ALS doctor. And, uh, you know, that is a, um, a very particular kind of process, helping patients navigate that kind of terrifying diagnosis. But eventually, I also fell in love with the world of evidence-based medicine and and health policy and decided I'd like to be involved in a space where the work that I did could um, help patients with, you know, a lot of different kinds of problems, not just one particular disease. And now I'm lucky to be able to do that in my current position by 
um, working on studies like this one um, and other evidence reports that you know really help policymakers have the best information to do things like create high quality clinical practice guidelines. And uh, since I still work at a veterans hospital myself, um, I know firsthand just how useful high quality guidance can be. Absolutely, no, totally agree. And Dr. Reston. Uh, yes, thanks for having me. Um, well, I guess my, yeah, my path is a bit circuitous as to how I got where I am now. Um, I'm not a clinician, I'm a PhD who started out as a biomedical science lab researcher. Uh, but, but like Amy, around 20 years ago, I became more interested in evidence-based medicine and um, you know, looking at doing systematic reviews of medical literature to support healthcare decision makers for like a, a variety of um, diseases and conditions, not just you know, one specific condition. Um, and I became interested in, in uh, the health of veterans and active duty service members uh, around 10 years ago when I first started working on systematic reviews um, that my organization is doing to support clinical practice guideline development for the VA and DOD. Um, and of course, with traumatic brain injury being a major issue in those populations, um, I, that's one of the areas that is of particular interest to me. Wow, very talented team that you make. Interesting. So uh, to begin, tell us a little bit about the study, uh, what you've done, where you're thinking about going with it. And um, yeah, you just kind of fill in the blanks as you go along. Whichever one of you wants to go first. Um, um, sure, well, I, I can, I can, I can, uh, I can start off. Um, well, uh, you know, you folks are in this space uh, already. Um, so you know that uh, uh, traumatic brain injury, um, especially concussions are, are so um, unfortunately common and important for um, the veteran population. And, um, you know, I think even before I, I, I got involved with projects like this one, I was seeing this, um, you know, in, in clinics. So many folks have a history of, of concussion. Um, and so, you know, it's a really important topic. Um, and, you know, this, um, the last time that the VA worked, uh, the last guideline for uh, concussion uh, was updated in 2016. Um, and Jim and I actually got to work together on that project as well. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's nice that we got to work together again um, on updating um, the evidence uh, report to support this, this uh, new version of the guideline because, you know, there has been some important research that's been done in that time. Jim, I don't know if you wanted to add to that. Um, yeah, I'll say that um in terms of like the focus of our paper, you know, cognitive rehabilitation was kind of an interesting topic because it isn't just really, it's not just one specific technique or intervention. It's kind of an umbrella term that includes a variety of interventions that are used to um, basically rehabilitate thinking skills like attention and memory that have been impaired by a brain injury. And um, while the interventions generally have similar features, that there are usually minor differences in the delivery or, or the and or the combination of, of components that are part of each of the interventions. So um, it makes it a challenging topic because um, it makes it difficult to have a really a consensus regarding what is the, the what is a single definition of cognitive rehabilitation. Um, 
And, and there's you know, disagreement in the literature on the most effective way to apply it when treating patients with, a, with mild TBI. So it was an interesting topic to take on, I thought. Uh, yeah, I think another challenge is how much, uh, how many publications are out there on the topic, you know, so you, you know, you have a group of uh, individuals, you know, such as veterans, although certainly in the civilian, you know, population, uh, you have a lot of people who have mild TBI or concussions, um, have sy symptoms that linger or get worse you know, probably about maybe anywhere from 10 to 20% or so of individuals, uh, you know, have these uh, outcomes that, that linger or, or progressively get worse. And, and, and so there are all these different approaches out there to help people improve their attention, improve their memory, improve their decision-making. So, so what, with so much information out there, can, tell us a little bit about what your primary goals uh, were uh, in terms of reviewing the, uh, this uh, vast uh, amount of information. Yeah, so, you know, I think, um, as, as you say, there's a, there's a lot that's out there. And um, I think in this paper, um, uh, the thing that we were focused on um, was trying to look at two particular flavors of cognitive rehabilitation. So, um, you know, actually, I think a, a lot of folks um, who have um, symptoms related to concussion or mild traumatic brain injury, you know, when they have these lingering symptoms, um, they come in and they ask, is there anything that I can do to make this better? Um, and, you know, um, a lot of folks have heard ads for these automated computer-based cognitive rehab programs. And that's one of the things we wanted to take up um, in this study. So we were really trying to get a sense for how well do these computer-based automated programs work compared to more traditional cognitive rehabilitation interventions that are offered by clinicians. And, you know, so how well do these uh, types of treatments work compared to each other? And do these treatments actually improve a lot of the common symptoms that folks have? Um, you know, uh, mood or concentration problems, um, their ability to function or, or quality of life. At this point, have you been surprised by any findings that you've come across or any head scratchers, anything a little bit different than what maybe you expected or didn't expect? Um, I, I, I'm sorry, go ahead, Amy. No, no, you go ahead, Jim. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I was going to say, um, like I myself, I didn't have any particular like expectations of what the literature would hold. Um, so I, I'm not sure that the results were surprising to me, but I, I did find them interesting. Um, I, I mean, I don't know if you want us to, you know, discuss any of the, our findings at this point, but. Um, yeah, that would be terrific if you could lay out what are what are the two, three, four primary findings that you think would be most important for uh, clinical practitioners or or people who might potentially be interested in these services. Yeah, well, um, we we found basically that um, certain of the you know clinician-based cognitive re rehab interventions. Um, may lead to improvement in, in post-concussive symptoms for at least some patients who have mild TBI. Um, and the interesting thing is um, when we looked at um, studies of self-administered or automated computer-based um, 
cognitive rehab. Studies that, that used only the automated cognitive rehab in the absence of like clinician-based services or interactions, those self-administered um, automated computer-based interventions did not seem to improve symptoms. Um, that was really based on only a couple of studies, so the evidence is limited, but that was, that was rather striking because we had a couple of other studies that actually combined the use of um, automated computer-based interventions with some clinician-based um, services or interactions. And in those two studies, there, there, those two studies actually did show a positive benefit in terms of improvement in post-concussive symptoms. Um, so it did appear that one of the major findings was that the self-administered or automated computer-based techniques on their own did not really work well. Um, whereas at least some of, some of these studies, which had, which had more clinician-based interactions, more direct interactions, with cognitive rehab training and such, those seem to be more effective for patients. Um, and and Amy, feel free to add something. Yeah, I was gonna ask what kind of skills uh, did the, those studies focus on where, uh, where the outcomes were better? It's, well, I mean, it's kind of hard to isolate exactly which were the particular skills because like one of the, one of the challenges, as I alluded to earlier with this literature is that you know, each study almost looks at a unique intervention because there's there's such kind of kind of like a broad category of combinations of different techniques that are involved. I mean, it involves, you know, there are most of them involve some kind of psychoeducation component, which is basically, you know, the physician just imparting information and then, you know, giving them advice on how to manage their, their symptoms and to take, take responsibility for management and motivating them to you know, adhere to their treatment and giving them realistic expectations of recovery, uh, that sort of thing. And then there are also usually some kind of like cognitive training component, you know, like either, you know, written tests or, or verbal tests, you know, which are, which are made to train memory or attention. Um, and, and then there are other components as well. Um, so, you know, with, with each of these things having a unique component, it's hard to, to determine like, like which which components are, are really the most beneficial for patients. I mean, the only, the only thing we could conclude overall is that um, the, the, um, the, the cognitive training um, interventions that, that involve more direct interactions with clinicians seem to be more effective you know, than, than, than the services, than the, than the um, interventions where you're just you know, telling the patient okay, here you can here use this computer program at home and go off and do these exercises, um, you know, without much, without much checkup or interaction with nurses and physicians. That, that by itself did not seem to be that effective. And I feel like I'm, I'm too much. So Amy, please jump in. Uh, no, Jim, I think you've, you've done a really great job of, of distilling down what we, what we found. And I, I think as, as is evident from, from what Jim said, I think you know, it's great that that there are randomized control trials, um, good ones that have been done in this space, but there's still a lot of work to be done here. Um, you know, I think as, as Jim has been talking about, you know, uh, there's such a variety of, of different flavors of this intervention. Um, and, you know, in one sense, it's, it's good. Folks are, you know, are trying thing, trying different variations out. But on the other hand, it 
it might, it sort of can make it hard to look at the overall picture for, you know, what is the thing that is, is making the difference. But I do think that, you know, I personally was really interested um, to know uh, what research has been done around these automated computerized training programs. I think that's a question that um, that I've certainly fielded in clinic and sort of haven't really known what the answer is. So it's very personally gratifying to know that, that, that you know, some folks have looked at this. The other thing I'll just mention is that I think one of the things that uh, Jim and I found really frustrating um, is that, you know, there were a lot of studies in this space um, which had patients, uh, a mixture of patients, so patients that had mild traumatic brain injury, but also more severe forms. Um, and so we, we, you know, because in this study, we're really focused on mild traumatic brain injury. Um, a lot of those studies, uh, you know, we couldn't include. And I think, you know, that is, was a little bit frustrating for us. Um, the other thing I'll just mention is that, you know, um, some of these studies were catching folks really soon after their injury, um, whereas other of these studies were looking at folks that were, you know, almost a year out. Um, and so you want, you kind of, kind of ask, like, is it possible that maybe these uh, treatments might work better if, if we catch folks at a certain point in time? And, and that's just something I think that we were both struck with. You got some very, very interesting stuff here. The, you know, from experience, and I really like the interpersonal contact that you, you guys are coming across. I mean, I, from a personal opinion, I and, and guys that I've known, it's always best to see clinicians, if you can, versus receiving a computer and then taking it home. I mean, I, I paraphrase that, but a lot of times, and as you well know, TBI, as you've said, manifests in many different ways, many different forms based on a lot of uh, a lot of variables for sure. And there's really no way that that you can you can quantify it. I mean, I, obviously, this is what the the store the, the studies you know doing the uh, overall sensic limbic. But you know, in in your sort of data discovery process, have you come across any comments from consumers? I mean, I know you're doing a systematic review, looking at, at published articles. But have you seen anything from a consumer standpoint on kind of what they think about it at all, or patient standpoint? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, our, our literature review really, uh, you know, uncover anything specifically related to consumer comments on this. Um, but I mean, we were mainly searching for, you know, published peer-reviewed journal articles, um, which were less likely to have that kind of information in, in terms of consumer perspectives. So, I mean, there may be, there may well be um, some, some um, articles out there on the consumer perspective but we weren't specifically looking for that when we performed the literature searches. So we did not necessarily capture, capture that perspective. Um, yeah, but I, Char, Char, I think it's a great point that you make, which is, you know, ideally, and obviously there's never enough hours in the day or enough resources to do everything that we'd like to do. Um, but, you know, this issue you raise of, you know, how are, how are patients experiencing these types of treatments? Um, what are things that they, care about um, or find useful or attractive about them. That's something that, you know, would be really good to look at. And, you know, this is just speculative on my part, but my sense is that patients and families are often asking about these automated types of programs because, you know, it is something that they, they could do by themselves, uh, you know, um, without having to, um, to, to come in um, uh, 
uh, to a, a clinic, um, a clinic setting. But you know, uh, it seems like they we, we don't they don't they're not that helpful <laughs> from what we can tell so far. But you know, is it because it manifests in so many different ways? And you had a very good point when you brought up. Uh, you know, how far along the timeline would this intervention be effective, you know, versus one month versus insult versus a year, you know, versus insult. But, you know, something else to consider, you know, a lot of times TBI is a secondary injury behind a more primary, I don't want to say life-threatening injury, but some of those physical and or emotional mental impairments could also impact, you know, an individual's use to use this artificial intelligence, particularly if they're, you know, sitting at home. And, and I, I live in Montana, so we have you know, eight months of winter out here and we have a very challenging physical geography and a, and a very challenging socioeconomic demographic and a long way to go between point A and point B to receive services or to, to check in, you know, things of that nature and all those things I think, actually, I know for a fact, you know, contribute and so forth. Ron, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I was, uh, you're reading my uh, mind, Char. I was, I was thinking here that, uh, that it's very rare uh, indeed that someone just has a concussion. Um, uh, as, as we all know, individuals, uh, may have PTSD, they may be depressed, they may be experiencing a lot of pain. Uh, when you have all those going on, you tend not to sleep very well. And, and, and so I, I was wondering uh, in the literature uh, whether um, any of the interventions sort of address the fact that people had multiple things going on or, or is that an area where uh, some more research needs to be done? Um, I mean, that, that probably is another area where, where more research needs to be done. I mean, what you've identified, I mean, that's like a third level of complexity in terms of like, in addition to the two points we identified earlier, that of number one is that most studies are, are really looking at like a, a particular, a, a unique intervention, a unique cognitive rehabilitation intervention that wasn't really duplicated completely in other studies. Um, and number two, as Amy mentioned about the timing of treatment, because the timing, the timing of treatment in these studies showed a lot of variability in terms of how long after the initial MTBI these treatments were delivered. So, so that affects, that could also affect the findings. And then, then this third component, which you just mentioned about the comorbidities, um, because yeah, and, and I mean, a lot of these studies, I mean, you know, around 50% of the patients also had PTSD. Um, and, and, and probably some other, you know, comorbidities as well. So, um, although in the studies, in the studies at least, um, those patients in the randomized controlled trials, those patients would be evenly distributed between treatment arms. So in that sense, it's it's comparable. But it, but again, you don't know, um, you know, if you do see an effect, you know, which which subset of patients, you know, would receive the most benefit, the ones who don't have comorbidities and just have the mild TBI, or, or, or is it more effective in patients who may have like uh, mild TBI and PTSD? You know that that's hard to really parse out from 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 these studies. Um, so again, yeah, that that is an area where more more research would be warranted. Yeah, you know, I think one of the really encouraging things here is that um, the some of the main trials that we included, one in particular, you know, were actually done um, in active duty service members. And in, in one of these trials, over 50% of folks had PTSD. And so I think sometimes, you know, we're taking 
studies that have been done outside of the veterans population. Um, and, you know, trying to use those findings and to apply them uh, to, to the VA population. But in this case, I think we have trials that are actually done um, in, in veterans in the population that is, uh, you know, we're most interested in for this guideline. And, you know, you're, you're seeing that it, you know, these treatments are effective. So I think that's encouraging. But as you said, it is complicated um, to parse out a lot more. And I do think, you know, I mean, I have to say, I don't typically, patients aren't coming to my clinic because they have concussion. They're coming because they have headaches after concussion or, you know, they're having, um, you know, chronic pain, as you say. So I do think the the veteran population, you know, um, is, is, um, distinctive and that, you know, folks are, are often dealing with a lot of different issues. Um, and, you know, I don't, <laughs> maybe you guys can offer me insights. It's challenging to know how to, you know, sort of tackle, um, there, there are often a lot of different things going on. So it's a little bit challenging to figure out, um, which one of those to tackle first. And, um, you know, they're all sort of, uh, they're not making, you know, if you can't sleep well, that's not making your headaches or your chronic pain better. So. And that's one of the one of the challenges you see. I mean, the you know first and foremost, in the articles, I mean, you've mentioned DOD, VA, and I'm sure there's several academic institutions that have come in and out. But the standards of care for mild TBI change from state to state. There's just there's just no gold standard first and foremost. And then when you toss in you know federal system versus state systems, in some cases tribal systems, etc. And you look at as you said all these other factors that go into it, PTSD and then what I mentioned a while ago, TBI could be a a secondary injury. So then you throw in the fact that you're doing active duty and veteran and then others. So, I mean, this is a, a massive study that's going to take, I don't know, some, some nice sifting to, to go through. It's interesting to, to tackle this. I mean, this is, this is fun. I mean, this is really, it's fun stuff and veterans need it. I mean, if families need it too, and I hope our listeners out there are really picking up on this, that there's people doing this for us. Um, you know, in doing this study, you mentioned that, you know, you've hit VA populations and active duty, which in, in your mind, and I know it's kind of tough if you don't have it right in front of you, but coming out of what area of emphasis, VA, um, uh, DOD, you know, other veteran populations, et cetera, that may not be with the, with the DOD or excuse me, the VA anymore. Have you, have you taken most of your literature from, if that makes any sense? Um, no, it, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I think that um, there are um, at least I think I would say, you know, about half of the trials, um, Jim, am I right about that, um, involved? Yeah, yeah, about half of the trials involved either a veteran population or active duty military. Yeah, so it's a, it's a good representation. <laughs> it's actually, yeah. to be honest, it's, it's not, we don't always, it's a little bit atypical, right, Jim? My sense is that typically we're, we're not finding a, such a high proportion of studies um, that are are done in this population. Wow, but I think that I think that's accurate. Just because uh, you know the the mild TBI uh, research and intervention work really started in the mid '80s, really starting in sports medicine and then mm -hmm. moving to uh, the non-athlete population uh, with civilians. And I think it really has been the last ten years where. 
where uh, the focus has shifted, uh, you know, to the uh, active service uh, duty members and, and the veterans. Um, so it makes sense that there would be a lot of other popular, uh, you know, a lot more uh, civilian studies. Yeah, it's interesting stuff for sure. Well, we're sort of getting to the back end of our time limit for this. Um, do you, Amy, do you and Jim have any additional comments you'd like to make or? Well, actually, if, if I might jump in just real oh, quick certainly. here, we're, we're going to have a link uh, to this podcast that'll link us right to the uh, veterans uh, clinical guidelines for mild TBI and specifically for cognitive rehabilitation. So, so might you highlight uh, for uh, listeners, uh, if they go to the, onto that link, what kinds of things they might find that would be uh, helpful? Um. Well, I mean, what they'll find is, um, in addition to um, recommendations, um, th there are a couple of recommendations in there that are, you know, related to the findings of our study on cognitive rehabilitation. Um, and this may have been mentioned, um, I know you did an earlier podcast with the authors of the VA synopsis for, for mild TBI. Um, but um, yeah, there, there was a recommendation in there which favored um, uh, clinician-based cognitive rehabilitation. Uh, um, at least that they recommended that a that clinicians should attempt, um, you know, at least a short trial of um, clinician-based uh, cognitive rehabilitation for patients, you know, who um, who still have ongoing symptoms after you know, other management has been attempted. Um, and there's also um, a recommendation, which is actually against the use of automated um, computer-based cognitive rehabilitation. Um, I don't remember the specific wording for that, but um, it, was a, it was a recommendation against that. Um, so yeah, I mean, and, um, and of course there are several other recommendations related to some of the other um, key questions of interest in there. Um, that's probably beyond the scope to go through all of them because there's a lot of them. But, mm -hmm. but yeah, clinicians will find a bunch of recommendations related to other treatments and interventions, uh, specifically for mild TBI. And, um, you know, and I hope that, um, you know, with time that there will be the more, more awareness among the, um, among clinicians, not just at the DA and DOD, but um, you know, in the wider world, um, that there will, the more people will become aware of this guideline, because I think there are a lot of useful recommendations in that guideline that clinicians should be aware of. And I think, you know, cognitive rehabilitation in general is not something that necessarily all physicians think about uh, when they come to, um, you know, thinking about treatment options for mild TBI. So I think it's, it's good to, to just increase awareness among clinicians that that may be a viable treatment option. Yeah, Jim, I, I completely agree. I mean, I think really sort of the take-home points from this study that we've been talking about are, number one, that the automated cognitive, um, sorry, the automated computerized um, treatments that are out there are, are sort of not ready for prime time yet. Like we, um, you know, we don't have enough evidence to say we should, we should um, uh, you know, send patients for those. And that's reflected in the recommendation against using those um, in, the, in the current guideline. Um, you know, and the second point being what, what Jim said, which is that, you know, it, we should refer patients that have these lingering symptoms for 
um, cognitive rehabilitation um, programs and, and that there is some evidence that they are effective. Um, and as Jim said, that's also one of the guideline recommendations that came out of this work. Um, and the third thing take home point for me is really just that there's just, a, there's still a lot of questions that we don't really know. And so really, you know, we need more trials that, um, you know, sort of are addressing some of these factors that we've talked about in terms of time course and, um, you know, the types of patients being studied and, um, you know, the, the, the types of interventions, uh, you know, being used. And I'm really glad that you guys are not going to include that link to um, the guideline. Um, you know, as we mentioned, this study is just one small section of a large um, evidence report looking at a bunch of different um, things related to mild TBI. And folks will also be able to find the full guideline there, as well as, you know, a summary for clinicians and for patients. Um, and I believe as well, uh, you know, something that they call a pocket card, which is sort of an algorithm to help uh, busy clinicians sort of, um, you know, make uh, decisions at, at various points. So I think there's a lot of really helpful material there, and I hope folks will check it out. Yeah, and we'll put a link to all of those so that uh, people can get the level of detail that they desire, and they can always uh, start small, and if they want more <laughs> detail, go to the more detailed documents. <laughs> Absolutely. There's, there's a lot there. So, um, yeah, there's a great amount of information. So hopefully our listeners take advantage of. If you're out there, feel free to check out those links. And, you know, if you have any questions, you know where you can send them. So with that, uh, Dr. Seale, do you have any additional comments you would like to add? No, just um, uh, I, I, I do a lot of guideline development work. Uh, so I, I know Amy and Jim, uh, there's a lot of work that goes into this from finding the publications, reading them, evaluating them, taking uh, findings that are not maybe consistent across studies and trying to make sense of them in a really helpful way. So I, I really respect uh, both the expertise and the amount of work that you put into uh, uh, getting these cognitive rehabilitation recommendations together. Excellent points and, and much appreciated. And you know, thank you, you know, Dr. So and, and Dr. Reston for your work and your dedication to the cause of helping, you know, active duty servicemen or veterans and their families, um, you know, be able to overcome the nuances associated with, with traumatic brain injury. We really appreciate that. Oh, it's uh, our pleasure. Have, yeah. Do you have any additional questions for us before we sign off? Um, I don't think so. I, I hope I just, I'll just say, I think this is a great format and uh, okay. I'm really glad that, that uh, you guys are doing these types of podcasts. It's great. Dr. Reston. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't have any uh, additional questions. Um, I, I think this has been great and um, you know, thank, thank you for having us on. Yeah, no, thank you for being here. And thank you for making time to be to be part of our podcast. With that, you two have a great day. We wish you the best of luck uh, in your future research endeavors. Thanks so much. Thank you. thank you. Thank you to Dr. Amy So and Dr. James Reston for joining Char Gatlin and Dr. Ron Seal today on the Abstract Doctors podcast special, the Abstract Veterans Series. For more information, please visit limbic cenc.org. The Abstract Doctors is produced by The Abstract Athlete. For more information, please visit theabstractathlete.com. And as always, follow us on all of our social media platforms under The Abstract Doctors and The Abstract Athlete. 
The office is now closed, but join us for our next appointment soon.